Hi, I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, a positively deviant organization dedicated to creating a flourishing world. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Positivity Prescription Podcast Series 1. The series is based on my 6M model of flourishing, which includes six core psychological capabilities that decades of research suggests are essential in creating a flourishing life. Mood, motivation, might, meaning, mindfulness, and mindset. So join me as I speak with experts from around the globe as they share their experiences and insights together with practical strategies to proactively improve your mental health and well-being. Today, my guest is Dr. Michael Steger. Mike is Professor of Psychology and the Director for the Centre for Meaning and Purpose at Colorado State University. He's an internationally recognised authority on the benefits of finding meaning in one's life and in one's work. Mike is a sought-after speaker and enjoys providing keynotes, workshops and retreats around the world. He is the developer of the most widely used measures of meaning and purpose in the world, including the Meaning in Life Questionnaire and the Work and Meaning Inventory. He's published more than 130 peer-reviewed journal articles and book chapters and three books. Mike offers a number of online courses on elevating success in work and life, including his newest courses, Meaning in the Moment and Mastering Your Motivation. So welcome, Mike. How are you today? Oh, thanks, Susie. It's it's great to be here uh, chatting with you. We go back a, kind of a long ways, I think. How am I today? I think everyone's screaming from that question lately. So we'll just say that as expected. As expected. And you're in Colorado. Yeah, we're in Colorado right now. And we've had some challenges. We're actually in day three of a new semester here at my university, Colorado State University. And so I get to look out my window and see who's wearing masks. And essentially everyone is, so that's interesting. But we also have some brush fires, some forest fires right outside of town. So for almost two weeks now, there's been smoke and ash in the air. And it lends the, a fancy sense of, of the apocalypse to the otherwise also apocalyptic 2020. We know that feeling very well here in, uh, in Australia yes. as well. So, Mike, um, I might start with your flourishing fact, if that's all right. And I really loved it. I actually thought it was uh, very creative or quite different, really. So you might want to expand on it, but you'd said it, your flourishing fact is your favourite, favourite thing to do is to get lost but not really lost, particularly in cities. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I do love that. I was going to say that I, you know, I might just go ahead and get a like a black belt and taekwondo or something <laughs> like that, but... Uh, <laughs> I lack discipline and a lot and ambition. So this is my version of a flourishing thing. I just love the feeling of unexpected discovery. I would say that one of the things that's always been motivating for me is just almost the origin of whatever you want to call what I do in my career, what have you, is the sense like there's got to be more to the story than what I'm seeing right now. So I just love that idea. So here's how to get lost. If Unless you're an American, you can't leave your country right now. But here's how to get lost without really getting lost. And so I like to travel, love to go to new places, find a new city or a part of a, of a city I haven't been to. And I'll, I'll just kind of like pick out what seems to be an intriguing landmark or spot on the map and send myself over there. Then just see what happens. I wander around. I get really uh, absorbed in taking pictures and trying to notice things and 
just try to understand what it would be like if what I'm doing was my daily life, right? And then it's not really lost because I do have the maps in my phone and the GPS is on. But I've chosen a little area where I don't have any pressure about getting to a particular place. And so it just feels like there's lots of opportunities to find something new and interesting and I just love being like, huh, I never thought of that, <laughs> that sort of experience. And, of course, we've both shared that opportunity on a few times in different cities with the International Positive Psychology Association conferences, Mike, which has been a joy to share that with you on a few occasions. Yeah. Well, I think I met you on my very first ever trip to Australia, and we met in Brisbane, if I remember correctly. Or was it Perth? I can't, Perth. I can't, I can't remember. remember either. <laughs> And I guess I'm curious, and that is one of my top strengths, is curiosity one of your top strengths, together with perhaps appreciation of beauty and excellence? Yes, actually, that's two of them. And another one is love of learning. Yes, so I'm really kind of uh, heavily weighted in the, oh, I wonder what that's about. I wonder what that's about. I wonder what that's about. And I wonder, and, uh, Mike, and, and I'm jumping ahead because I'm going to ask you about the research on meaning soon, but I'm curious as to know whether there has been any research on the character strengths that are most highly correlated with, um, and I'm sure, I mean, I know there has, but curiosity, is that one of the key ones, I wonder? You know, it's, it's really funny, like the whole character strengths research project is tricky to navigate sometimes because when you take, for example, curiosity. So I've done some work with Todd Cashden in this area. And of course, he's heavily into curiosity as a psychological phenomenon, a well-being trigger and all these sorts of things. And you know, you can see that there's relationships and even kind of dynamic relationships over time that we've explored with curiosity as measured as like a more like a psychological state trait variable, the traditional thing. Mm. And then there's also the curiosity that's in, in the via, for example, or might show up in some other ways of measuring strengths. So it's tricky to navigate. I can say that a lot of the strengths, when they're not measured as strengths, are positively correlated with meaning. But in, in terms of like the best strengths to have when it comes to meaning, I think they do tend to be a little bit on those that self-transcendent side. I think of curiosity as like a core self-transcendence competency, really. Yes. Right? Because it's always about, like, you can be curious and go on an inward journey and things like that. But I just love the idea that the world is constantly inviting us to experience something we've never experienced before, stretch ourselves in waves we've never stretched before. So for me, anyways, it does seem to be really linked in pretty well. But I have to, I have a big confession. You know, when I did my dissertation, I knew every article that had been published on meaning <laughs> back in 2005. Yeah. It was just about 450. I could cite from them. I could give you the the, the findings. But like something like more than 5,000 research papers came out just last year on meaning. Yeah, I know that feeling, Mark. I think I actually reached out to you when I was teaching at Sydney Uni and I started teaching there about 2004. So I possibly contacted you not long after that when I realised yeah. there wasn't a lot of research. And like you, I used to know every single positive psychology paper. I could quote them, but at some point you yeah. just had to let it go, didn't you? That you couldn't possibly know, know it all. Yeah, sort of like on a, as a need-to-know basis at this point. I mean, there are some researchers I always try to make sure I follow and you know, there's certain areas I like to, I perk up on, but man, just even my little, little niche, which was not in the mainstream when I started doing it at all. And, and now it's just, it's so exciting to just think about all the new ways of coming at meaning and purpose from different 
cultural viewpoints, different occupational viewpoints, different methodological viewpoints. It's just super exciting, but it's also a little bit overwhelming. It is. So into, I guess, the formal part of this, what does meaning mean to you, Mike? And how also, I guess, the key question, because I know in, you know, when I was looking at it even quite early on, people were using the terms meaning and purpose, and I still see that happening now. So, yeah, what does meaning mean to you and how is it similar or different from purpose? Yeah, so I think meaning and purpose is, it's a open invitation term. For some folks, it's like maybe more of a marketing term, but it's, it's a little bit of just an open invitation term to say like this is a general area we we operate in. And that traces back to Frankel, Victor Frankel, who uh, in so many ways was the founder of the idea that we could we ought to be taking meaning and purpose seriously as as a psychological phenomenon or maybe even the basis of of human behavior in the way that we compose ourselves. And, you know, that was because the the fancy German words that Frankl was using didn't translate well enough into English. So, you know, the best way to do it was to say what we're talking about, what we're talking about here is meaning and purpose. So that's great, except that, you know, folks have been studying meaning on the one hand and purpose on the other hand and kind of interchanging them over and over again, which, which starts to limit the ability of an academic field to progress if no one knows what you mean when you when you use the terms for the things you're studying. So one of the things that I tried to contribute to in a little bit of a way is coming up with kind of an organization of how people have been talking about about meaning. It's not quite at a, a theory level, but certainly at a definition level. And where I think the field has been for a while is is to say that there's really three elements to meaning. There's a motivational element, and that would be purpose. So purpose would be the aspiration you have to strive to do something worthy and important in your life. And then that purpose comes to help organize other things that you do because it's a higher priority. So purpose is all about this like anchor we throw into the future that makes things feel worth our breaths on this planet. And then the next piece would be the classic coherence or sense-making ability or comprehension, right? So when we say that, what do things mean? We often talk about how ought we interpret them. So the way we make sense of our lives, the stories we tell about how things happen, our ability to understand the world and create mental models. So this is this cognitive element that captures uh, the world makes sense to me. I can comprehend enough of what's going on that it feels at least reasonably consistent and predictable. So that's kind of like the fabric of the lives that we love. Yeah. And that coherence piece, I mean, as you know, I worked clinically for many years. That piece, I, I think the coherence is perhaps what's happening when people have gone through traumas and they're coming out the other end trying to make some sense out of things that are often very senseless. Yeah, that's a really salient experience for folks. So there was a clinician working in, I think, the 80s named Ron, Ronnie Janoff Bullman, and she used the phrase shattered assumptions. Mm. So. We live in this world that's really made up of assumptions because it is quite literally overwhelming. We, <laughs> our senses can't take in everything that it experiences. Our initial sensory processing or parts of the brain can't process all the sensory information that's coming in. And the conscious parts of our brain can't process everything that's getting fed to it. You know, So literally the world is overwhelming. So we need shortcuts. And that's that coherence piece. And when all of a sudden the rules and the beliefs or Irv Yalm used to talk about the givens, right? What do you take as given about life? When that stuff suddenly is violated in a huge way, then 
then it shatters everything. You have to figure out if it's worth building it back up and how you're going to do it. Yes. In Australia, we might call it a what the moment. A what the? (laughs) (laughs) It sort of comes out of left field and it doesn't fit. And as you know, like our brain likes to categorize things and it just doesn't have anywhere to file it. So it's that meaning making that becomes so crucial going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I, I kind of alluded to it with this idea of when we really do get something shattered, we, some part of us tries to figure out, is it, is it worth it? Is it worth trying to rebuild? And that leads into the third element, which would be significance. Other people talk about this in, in terms more re- closely related to mattering. But this is the idea that your life has some inherent value. The process and the experience of being alive is, is worthwhile. And that kind of all of this, all of this matters. It's significant. So it's in this sense, the evaluation that you have reasons to be here. Like there is a reason to keep going. There's a reason to pursue your purpose. There's a reason to keep trying to understand all the rapid and disorienting changes in the world around us. So is this, there's a measure that encapsulates or captures these three components of meaning, Mike? Yeah. So there's, as usual, there's more than one answer to that question. Frank Martela, who's a a Finnish philosopher and researcher, and I put together the paper that laid out our idea about purpose, coherence, and significance. And we're working on the manuscript to publish the results of our measure, our attempt to measure and distinguish among those things. But there's also other researchers who are both contributing to the theoretical development. So Logan George has a multidimensional existential mattering scale that has coherence or comprehension, I can't quite remember, purpose and then mattering, which is a little bit more like (laughs) in a thousand years from now, it will still be true that my life mattered. Like so a little bit more cosmic scale, but it also captures that sense that this whole cosmic joke is worth it, (laughs) you know, to get through day to day. And then there's another group, Costin and Vignoles, who have, I think, their own version of those three things, coherence, purpose, and and mattering. So there's lots of options, but I think that's going to be where a lot of excitement is. Like, how well can we tease apart these three elements, or are we still uh, just going to end up measuring things like meaning and purpose, all one word? (laughs) Yeah, so there seems to be some general agreement between academics at this point now around these three key components. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were kind of there all along, and the easiest two to pick out initially were coherence and purpose. And then significance seemed like, I mean, how, how can you say your life is meaningful if you don't think it's worth living, right? So that's tricky. Exactly. And I mean, obviously values, I mean, when I'm talking about meaning and I cover this in the book as well, values and also with working with clients over the years plays a really important part in helping people from a coaching perspective even create a goal and uh, and then it impacts significantly on their motivation to continue to sustain movement towards that goal. How do values fit with these three components? Well, so I would say that in my own work, a lot of what I try to do with values is to expand that coherence box. So I, in, in my view, and I don't know how to point to direct evidence yet, but it, it, it seems to make sense to me that under most circumstances, the best purpose for you is one that arises from who you are and how you see the world around you. Right? I, I like to give the example of like an American Idol or maybe there's an Australian Idol or one of these talent shows where, you know, someone shows up, they expect to be crowned a star. They do a horrific job. They're disappointed. They think the judges are insane, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So if you choose a purpose that's not apt for you and for what the world is like, then – 
it's never going to sort of deliver that mm. that incredible motivation, passion, and drive that a good purpose should. So values are really a huge part of the overall humanistic and existentialist or eudaimonic approach to trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. So we want to have something authentic that we pursue. And we want to be able to grow through the process of trying to do things in, in life. And if we're doing things that run counter to our values, or we just haven't even figured out what our values are, then we're just kind of be caught in an eddy, you know, swirling around. So I really try to help people think about their values in, in creative ways to make sure that when they're trying to articulate their purpose or understand who they are, that they've got that sense of what they stand for and what they would never stand for. Absolutely. And I know in my experience, uh, I think actually quite naively in the beginnings of my career, I used to give people a values list and say, come back next week with your top five. And <laughs> I, yes. I learned very quickly that it doesn't always work like that. And in fact, I had a client tell me, Susie, I need a whole year. I, I need a year to go oh, offline, yeah. perhaps meditate, retreat, really think about what matters most in my life. Whereas for other people, it's implicit, they actually did know, but they'd never really made them explicit. And that exercise of making them explicit actually helped them really see the connections and feel a greater sense of meaning. Yeah, I, I love that. I love the way that you put that because, I mean, just as I'm someone who I think has wondered what the heck is this all about since as early as I can remember, you know, you're someone who's pursued a lot of, you know, how do you apply the best of yourself to the challenge ahead of you? And that makes us really expert in fairly weird things that, <laughs> that we're really good at doing because we do it all the time, but not everyone has, has had the, the opportunity to dedicate, in a sense, their professional activities towards those explorations as well. It's so true. So as you said before, there's been a significant increase in research, particularly over the last 15 years. Are there any key research findings on meaning that you think people would really benefit from knowing about that might have real practical application? I want to dispel a myth first, right? So I don't know what folks are thinking about me as I'm talking, but one, one perception I always had about meaning was that to have a lot of meaning, you have to first take a black and white grainy photo of yourself frowning and then be really in touch with all the misery of life. And, and then you'll have a nice, meaningful life, right? And, and pleasure is pretty suspicious because it doesn't have the gravitas <laughs> of the existential struggle that we were all caught in. And so I want to dispel that. I call it the grouchy philosopher problem. <laughs> Love that. We think meaning is such a big deal that we have to have answers to the most tremendous questions in, in order to even touch on this stuff. Mm. And I think the main research finding that contradicts that comes from lots of different studies. But in essence, most people everywhere they've studied in the world think life is pretty meaningful for them. Right. It can't be the case that most people are grouchy philosophers, you know, fretting over whether there's an ultimate purpose to the universe yes. or not. So there's an easier path that doesn't have to be quite so muddied by figuring out what happens after we die, why do good things happen to bad people, and, and so on. And the other finding that goes along with that is that people who uh, have a high sense of meaning tend to be more fun. 
Like this sounds weird, I know, but like when when they're judged, they're saying that they experience more positive events in their lives, that they have more fun. They end up being rated in in blind experiments, where the research subjects come in and they would just watch someone chatting. Mm-hmm. People who score high in meaning are rated as being more appealing potential conversation partners and even more desirable potential future friends. Interesting. So it's not like people who have a sense of meaning and purpose are radiating grimness and always talking about the worms that are going to get us eventually. And they're functioning on an optimal level. So you don't think that you have to sacrifice having a nice, enjoyable life and and having other people like you just because you want to orient around meaning. And I think the other set of findings that are encouraging is that, and this comes from, again, several different studies, which is key in positive psychology as it is in any branch of psychology to have those replications. But this is the idea that people who have a strong sense of meaning and purpose do tend to engage in activities that are consistent with what you would think is about having a sense of meaning and purpose. They tend to be more kind. They volunteer more. They're more active in pursuing their goals. They have higher levels of achievement and and things like that. So especially if they can articulate what their purpose is, or if they can articulate a sense of coherence that provides like a welcoming place for them in the the world around them, if they can see that they have reasons to be there and reasons to invest in life, they act in ways that are consistent with that. That's not all BS. So I think those are really two really hopefully encouraging findings for folks. Absolutely. And I think I've had that discussion numerous times with clients over the years too, differentiating, I guess, the difference between, as you spoke about firstly, having a sense of meaning in life versus, I guess, needing or pursuing the meaning of life. And, you know, there are, I've definitely met clients that have been on this pursuit and, you know, have been gone to the mountaintop, if you like, and they're looking for the meaning of life where I've had plenty of clients have said, I I don't really need to know that, but I just, I feel like I have meaning in my life or I'm searching for meaning in my life. So I found those, you know, from a practical level, a good discussion to have as well. Yeah. I mean, it's like crazy that one preposition would (laughs) have so much power, but you really see the light go on in people's heads and it's almost, but it's like a green light, like in a traffic intersection, you know, to say like, I'm not trying to tell you what the meaning of life is. Yes. We're just talking about the meaning in your life. And that's the way that you live your life, not whatever happened a billion years ago in the universe. Exactly. And I wonder too, and again, we haven't got a lot of time to explore these topics. I'd love to, as you know, I'm passionate about (laughs) this area too, but I guess it helps, um, can help reduce some existential anxiety or, and even that wonderful little book by Spencer Johnson, The Present, I don't know if anyone's ever read that, but he talks about if you're in the, if you're in the past ruminating about what happened, then you you know, you're not able to be in the present. And I guess that leads us to a lot of the research around the benefits of being mindfully present. But he also says if you're in the future worrying, anxious about what's going to happen, and I wonder if you've got this sense of meaning of what life for you is about, then that helps reduce that angst, that existential angst to a degree. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because there's an element of meaning, like the human experience of meaning that's a little bit restless, right? It's always trying to uncover the next secret or it's scrutinizing whether the way I understand the world is is enough or is accurate. And I definitely have that. So I want to keep sort of calibrating what I think is going on with life, what we're supposed to be doing here, what the universe was all about and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, ultimately, it, it comes down to how do you spend your time? How do you live your life? And what kind of 
impact and benefit can you give to other people? And this, and just to go to the point of like, we can become imprisoned in overly focusing on the past or the future. I, I needed to do something different a little bit when, when the pandemic came, I just felt like we need some new solutions. And so I, I invested a lot of time in, in building a couple courses, one on motivation, but the other was called meaning in the moment. And it was all about how do you experience meaning in a little bit lighthearted way that's not going to require, you know, massive commitment of time or, or effort. Like, what does a meaningful moment look like and how does that eventually contribute to life? Because I just think that living a meaningful life never has been and shouldn't ever be just the province of folks who can dedicate every moment of their lives to it. It has to be a living, breathing, dynamic part of, of all of our lives. Absolutely. We are seeing some increased interest, particularly in the workplace, for people wanting to have meaningful work, but also in schools and in positive education, discussions around the importance of children and adolescents finding meaning. Any thoughts or reflections on that at this point in time, whether it's you know, the workplace or schools or both? Yeah, so I'll I'll do the workplace pretty quickly because I've been more active there and there's just, this is a lot more complexity. I think what I started to see a few years ago, and it's just really accelerated now, is just as almost every company started putting natural or green or you know good for the planet on all of their horrible products or great products, to the point where you couldn't really tell who was really invested in sustainability, who was invested in protecting and preserving what's left of our, our burning planet. Something similar, I think, is happening with purpose. It's getting so watered down that if you just say that purpose is great, then you feel like you've done a good job if you're leading a company or you're particularly if you're leading a SEO within a I mean, I'm sorry, CRS within a company. You're just putting this idea out there that you care about meaning, you care about purpose, you know, come live out your purpose at our company and all this sort of stuff. But I don't see that penetrating to the way in which a lot of companies are actually working, right? So we're seeing a lot of the innovation around meaning and purpose in the workplace coming from newer companies mm. that are organizing from the beginning around right. what is the way in which we're going to really celebrate the humanity of the people who work with us and let them do the best with the best of themselves for the greatest benefit for the most number of people, right? Like that is happening, but it's not happening just because a giant company feels pressure from shareholders or, you know, huge pension funds aren't investing in dirty businesses anymore. So that's the biggest thing I would say. Like there's no end to the opportunities to go try to make <laughs> business folks feel better about exploring purpose. I think that's fantastic, but it's going to require commitment or else I, what I worry about is that when workers believe that they'll really have a, a fair shot at, at meaningful work in a new company or in an established company that they'll just become cynical on the whole project and it'll just get used against us. So there's a lot of great scholarship out there, lots of great researchers, lots of great people are really doing a good job with comprehensive solutions. And then there's people who are just going to give you the sense that you've done something even though you haven't. So there's a little bit of a, a murky bit to navigate there. On the education side, I'm really excited. And of course, Australia is in my estimation, at the very world front of, of positive education efforts. And I've had the opportunity to come and visit a couple of the grammar schools in, in Sydney and in, near Melbourne and learn from experts on how they're integrating positivity, positive psychology, strengths, well-being, kindness, gratitude, benevolence, and, and all these other aspects into schools. And 
what I've heard is that purpose or meaning ends up being one of the last ones to infuse because we still as researchers and scholars and and folks who are trying to jump into in between the research and the practice world like me, we haven't given enough like tangibility or stickiness to some of those concepts. So I was really excited. I, w- I was asked to write a chapter for a book on positive education, Yes, really educating for meaning and purpose. And I was able to bring some of the practice stuff I, I've been working with schools with over the, over the years and really propose that there's lots of different ways that you can handle it. And I think that you know, from my perspective, the world is a, a meaning-shaped nail and I've got a meaning-shaped hammer. So take this all with a grain of salt. But I think that meaning can be a really effective organizing principle for positive education efforts. But there's also really practical ways that you can touch on this. So I would just say for folks out there who are engaged in education and want a way to start talking about meaning and purpose without necessarily feeling like they're falling prey to the grouchy philosopher syndrome where they're getting in over their heads, just keep it focused on the idea of a story, right? Each of your students is trying to create a story about her or his or their place in a world that seems to have a bunch of people already know what's going on, but they can't figure it out. So it's this idea that you can help them again, infuse their story with significance is worth it. Purpose. There's something that you can strive for. And coherence, you can make sense of this and there's a place for you. I love that. And I think I'm really excited too to see what happens around the development of meaning in for children and adolescents. I know there's been like Professor Will Damon that's done some work in that mm-hmm. area. I mean, obviously, having worked with lots of educators over the years, overwhelmingly, they will tell you that their work is a calling or, you know, in some cases, they've lost touch with that when they feel like they've been a bit burnt out over the years. But um, I think it's fairly easy from the educator's perspective to tap back into that. But I think it's so important for children, particularly when we look at the high rates of depression, which is often associated with a sense of meaninglessness. So I'm really excited to see the development of that over time, Mike. And um, just coming towards the end of the interview now, I was going to ask you about your own personal experiences with exploring meaning, but I hope you don't mind. I wanted to share what you actually sent to me when I was asking you about your flourishing fact and you mentioned getting lost but not really lost. And you'd said that obviously right now with COVID being at home, it's a lot harder. But I really, if you don't mind, I wanted to read read out what you'd said. So it was about appreciating the little miracles all around us to remind myself that despite humanity's best efforts to burn and foul up our home, life still <laughs> tries to to give us beauty and inspiration. It deserves better than what we give it, but it still offers us chances at redemption, even in 2020. So, um, yeah, any thoughts or comments about your experience with meaning? Yeah. You know, be careful what you put in email. I would say that's a good tip. <laughs> I don't know. It's sort of interesting. I was trying to be very open-hearted to what I thought was going to be a very embarrassing moment, and maybe it was. But I think that that actually, in a weird way, captures my journey of meaning and purpose, that there are little miracles just everywhere. We're surrounded by them. And yeah, unfortunately, because we're we're short-sighted and weak and greedy and fearful and crave comfort and all these other ridiculous things, we're smashing to bits a lot of the little miracles out there. But they're still there and they, they do. They The flowers will still blossom if we give them a chance. The trees will still have leaves, the birds will still sing, you know, people will still trust us and want to learn from us if we put our foot in our mouths, like maybe I did with that email. <laughs> so there are lots of different opportunities, but I just don't think that at least my path to meaning 
could ever exist with me thinking it's okay to just keep doing the same thing the same way. Like for me, it, it is something about the fact that things change and you need to find new paths forward. And the, the ultimate aim for me, at, at least, is to try to figure out ways to keep getting better, even though I'm, I'm constantly following things up. So I, I guess that would actually capture a lot of, of what my own personal journey has been like to try to be just better for others and for myself. And I think it, we're ending where we started up, which was the discussion around curiosity. And uh, I mean, as I think some of Todd's research has found, there are individual differences and people do have a lot of natural curiosity. And But it is something that we can develop. And we have been speaking to Professor Felicia Huppert about mindfulness as well. So I love the connections between the M's. I'm consistently looking myself for the connection between all of the M's in, uh, in the 6M model mm-hmm. as well. So my just wrapping up now, if there was a book or perhaps a podcast, and of course we're going to put up on our Facebook all of your wonderful books and the fantastic TED Talk, which I'm always uh, referring to as well, that you did on <laughs> meaning, but is there one that you would recommend for anyone wanting to learn a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's hard for me to say. I think maybe maybe start with that little talk, and if you can stand it, you, you can go to my webpage. There's two different webpages you can track me down at. One is michaelfsteger.com, and that has the papers I think are really great resources for folks who are interested in what a scholarly approach to this is. But in all my writing, I would say that I'm my writing style is motivated by the fact that I'm easily bored. So I don't like writing boring things. I don't even like boring myself. And I have a terror of boring other people. So I do try to make even these academic papers at least readable. So don't be afraid of them if you're not used to reading that sort of stuff. And then there's another page called uh, michaelsteger.online that is a course on – it's really a course on motivation that that came from my experiences of just – I felt like I was pivoting every two days once March hit this year. Mm. And I was just having a hard time getting myself up and getting myself up and getting myself up. And so it's the M of motivation, right? Like how do you find sustainable and renewable motivation that can use your your power of purpose? So that's a potential resource for folks. But also if you just want to check out what I post on on LinkedIn or on on YouTube, there's always some awkward thing I'm saying or (laughs) a video of me musing on this side or the other thing. So. We're all in this together, so we just need to make a community of people who can find a way to keep going towards the right goals for the right reasons, I think. Absolutely, and and clearly humour is one of your top strengths as well, which I enjoy immensely. So thank you so much, Mike, for joining us today. You are one of the leading experts in the study of meaning on the planet, and uh, you bring so much education and inspiration to so many people, Mike. So thanks very much for chatting with me today. Hey, Susie, it was fantastic and and my best to the podcast. And I hope everyone can really make the best use of the opportunity to explore the six M's and the positivity prescription (laughs) and maybe even a little bit of my weird take on meaning. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Thanks very much for listening to the Positivity Prescription Podcast Series 1. Don't forget to sign up to our Facebook page and for our e-news. You can subscribe from the website, thepositivityinstitute.com.au, where you can also stay up to date with all things positive. See you next episode and remember, life's too short to languish.